You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Well, with that, uh, let's pray before we get into this morning's sermon. God, uh, we do thank you for the life of this body, and we, you know, we just prayed for our kids. Um, we pray for ourselves. Yes, as parents, we're singing that song, it's the most wonderful time of the year, when the kids go back and we kind of get a little bit of time to ourselves. But, um, you know, we're all in these kind of transitions and adjustments, and so I just pray, God, for our church as the kids are going back to school, as we're getting readjusted, going back to uh, the rhythms of work after a season of having some vacations and things like that, God, we want to enter into a conversation over the next five weeks with your scriptures about, wait, why, why are we doing church? We, you know better than me and better than us that there are so many people now through the pandemic who are like, you know what, we're done with church. But why are you not done with church, God? Like, what, what is in your heart, in the heart of Jesus, who is the head of the church, as to why are you not done with church? When there's a lot of reasons out of the news that you should be just saying, we're done. But you're not. Help us to think about this critically as we explore this in the next five weeks. And I pray that you'd help me as we launch this discussion, this thought process in these next few weeks. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Yeah, to actually do that, to think critically, I want to encourage you to grab the Bible in front of you or your phone and turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to look in two sections, so if you want to hold in two places, hold one finger in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Matthew 28, verse 19, and the other one is a couple chapters earlier, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. So those two spots, hold and hold them. Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. So, we'll put this one slide up on the screen, and that's the only technology the preaching team is going to use in the next five weeks. That's it. We aren't do you, we're not doing any more because we want to kind of go back to old school, let's actually read the text for ourselves. And I get it. I, I understand. I like the convenience of having it up on the screen. And here's the series. Why are we doing this? As in, why are we doing church? Why are we doing it? Think about it for a second. In your own heart and in your own mind, are we doing church so we can come together and then we just see our friends? And there's something to be said for that, but is that kind of the main reason for being? Are we doing church so that we can kind of get emotionally propped up every seven days? Oh, heck, we're American Christians. Every 28 days? Are we doing it to get emotionally propped up every, somewhere between every 7 to 28 days when we happen to show up? Are we doing church as a form of like social connection or social justice to get engaged and like all ramped up to do something out in the community? Again, none of those things are like wrong things and they may actually be a part of it, but is that the main reason? I think it's important for us to pause once in a while to think a little more critically about why we do church and particularly in the face of many failures that we've been seeing in the church and church people. We've seen so many leaders who, some of us have read their books, fall to moral failings. We've seen spiritual abuse in the church. We've seen 
We know people who are coming and visiting our church who are kind of, um, I stopped kind of going to a church. Or people who are like, I am done, capital D, done with church because they have a story to tell about it. And so it's important for us to go back and go, why has Jesus not leaned over the guardrail of heaven and said to all of us, you're blowing it. Just stop being the church and calling my name on it. Why has he not done that? I mean, that's a question that I ask sometimes with every new headline that I read. So in the next few weeks, our preaching team is going to try to give some biblical answers about why we do church. Next week, Nick is going to talk about why a church is necessary in a community, but a church has to be a church that's not about itself. And he's going to talk about that. Um, John Stewart, he is our Pied Piper of community. He's going to talk to us about the importance of being a community up at Camp Maymac. Um, Jeremiah Spears is going to be talking to us about the necessity of being a hospitable place where people can find new connections. Even though there can be deep community, that community can still add one more. And then at the end, Adam Nye is going to talk to us about it's so important for us to be a people of clarity. And by that, I mean theological clarity. And so the whole preaching team is going to take a moment in this. And I, I get to kind of start it out. And so I came back from my mini sabbatical. You're not going to see me for the next four weeks after this Sunday. But I wanted to kick off the study, why are we doing this? Because I want to offer this first simple answer. Why are we doing this? Because Jesus asked. That's the starting answer to the question, because Jesus has asked us to do church. Now, to explore that, I want to start by telling you a morality tale. I want to tell you a little story. It's a cautionary tale, actually, and it involves a mega company called Kodak. Alita and I actually have a little bit of a connection, a personal connection to Kodak, the mega industry. Some of you may remember what they actually did. Part of it for me... Um, my grandfather, Howard Lewis, grew up with the Eastman boys. George Eastman was the inventor of Kodak. And he grew up with the Eastman boys in Rochester, New York, which is the birthplace and the headquarters of Kodak. And my grandfather told me stories as a kid of fighting with the Eastman boys at school. Now, I have no idea if that was true or not. You know how grandparents can be. But he told us these stories of how he single-handedly would whip the three Eastman boys. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I have no idea. Alita's grandfather, Sam Fidelli, Grandpa Sam, Sam Fidelli was also born and raised in Rochester. We happen to meet in California, but both sets of parents. Right, my mom, my dad is from Rochester and her parents are from Rochester. But Sam Fidelli worked as a delivery driver for Kodak for many, many years. So we kind of have a little bit of a connection with the story of Kodak. From the moment that George Eastman invented a simple camera that anyone in the world could use, which made a funny sound. According to George Eastman's ear, when you snapped the shutter, it made a sound that sounded like Kodak. And that's how he got the name Kodak. It was supposedly the sound of the click of the camera. From that moment, Kodak became the worldwide king of photography. From... The 1880s, all the way into the 21st century. That is a long time to be the worldwide king of everything dealing with photography. But, some of you may remember reading this in the headline 10 years ago. In 2012, the king of photography filed for bankruptcy. Done. How 
do you go from the worldwide king of photography for, uh, for a long, long time to bankruptcy? How does that happen? Now, I'm sure you might, if you hear this and you think about it and what's happened in the last couple of, ten, well, decade, you start to kind of have some pretty good educated guesses about what happened. Like, for instance, some of you might guess that it was the invention of digital photography. Like, ah, that's probably what it was, right? The invention of digital photography caught Kodak by surprise, and the new technology of digital photography took him down. And that would be a really good guess. But actually, the story is even far more strange. Kodak was actually so on the advanced edge of all forms of photography that it was their own research and development team that developed the very first digital camera. And here's a digital photo of that first digital camera. That was the first digital camera ever invented on the planet. It was put together as far back as 1975 by Kodak engineer Steve Sasson, who invented this first camera out of a movie camera lens, a handful of Motorola parts, 16 batteries, and some newly invented CCD electronic sensors. Kodak invented digital. That is not what took them down. Now, your next educated guess might be something like this. Well, you might guess that Kodak went down because they didn't pay any attention to the emerging social media. You know, this, this whole new thing about social media and sharing photographs on social media platforms. And again, that is a great guess. But actually, before Facebook was even a glimmer, in whatever that guy's name is, uh, the Facebook guy's eye, whatever it was, or Instagram. Before any of these things were ever created, Kodak actually acquired a digital photing site, even before MySpace. Remember that one? Before even that, they acquired a digital photo sharing space none of us have ever heard of called Ophoto. And they acquired it, and they invested heavily in expanding a social photo sharing platform. So that's not what took them down. So if all of these reasons that you and I as kind of educated guests would go, okay, this is probably what took Kodak down. What was it that happened? And the simple answer is this. They lost sight of their mission, their actual reason for being. Kodak was originally all about what they called the democratization of photography, which is big speak for a way of helping anyone, anywhere take a picture. That was all of what they were all about when they first invented, George Eastman invented this thing to help anyone, anywhere, anytime take a pic. Well, helping anyone, anywhere take pictures involves, over time, the creation of a massive industry for film, camera film, the processing of camera film, film paper for the processing and all of the technologies that go for the development of film, this massive industry. And they started over time to put all of their focus on that part of the photography industry, treating that part of their business as that was their main reason for existence. So even though when they were the ones who invented digital photography, they invented it, and they saw the future of social media and sharing platforms of photography. They went bankrupt because they come to believe their mission was film when their mission was photography. Do you see the difference? They were all about the film, but the mission was helping anyone, anywhere take a pic. Photography. And as a result of that simple but catastrophic mistake, 
Kodak became marginalized, and ultimately, 10 years ago, they filed for bankruptcy after having been in existence the king of photography since the 1880s. Now, that's not really a sermon. This feels a little more like a TED Talk, doesn't it? (laughs) But I tell that story because it is a morality tale for us. Individual churches go down. Denominations go down. And the Catholic, and I'm using small c Catholic, which means universal church, has become marginalized to the real world in many places on the planet for the exact same reasons. And I'm going to hear, I'm going to hear to argue that in the West, we have become exceedingly marginalized. We got off track from our mission, our actual reason for existence. In the same way that Kodak incorrectly thought its mission was film, the church has incorrectly thought its mission's all kinds of other stuff. I'm just going to list some, but you could come up with some in your own mind. Like thinking the church is, you know, have heard me say this before. Here's the building. Here's the steeple. Open the door. See all the people. And the church is like, it's a building. And I kid you not, there are places all throughout America where there are churches that have been paid off over the last half century. And it's being held on to by a dozen to two dozen people. And they have committee meetings all the time. And what church is, is the preservation of a building. Or to think that going to church is having some emotional, ecstatic experience. It's often held, talked about in pop culture, where you hear, you know, a great choir singing rousing songs with a, you know, a great soloist in front of you. And you say, I went to church because it was a rousing emotional experience, thinking that's church. Or thinking church is a community center for friendships and activities, which you could get by going to any Elks Lodge if you wanted to. Church is a place to get your needs met with a good word that props you up for another week or 28 days. Or, you know, in the negative, church is a place where you're going to have to earn God's love and experience shame and condemnation. That's what church is. Or church is an ideological social action group, gets stuff done in the community. Church is a place for more perfect people to receive spiritual benefits for the select few. The list could go on. Now, some of the ideas I just said, you can get it. They're way off. And some actually might be included within the mission of the church. But the church's core reason of existence is actually, it's none of those things. The church, it's interesting how the New Testament authors picked a particular word to describe church. They picked out this word that in Greek is called ekklesia, which was a super common word in the, in the first century world. It's a word that just in everyday term is talking about a gathering group or a called out group, which you could be a gathering group or called out group around any person, idea, cause, any kind of group. It's an ecclesia. And the New Testament writers, they use that common idea of a called out group or a gathering group of people who are called out from the world's construct to follow Jesus. Pursuing the mission that Jesus has asked us to pursue, which again brings us back to the main question as we start this series. So what is the mission from Jesus? Hold your Bible. And I'm going to ask Dom, my buddy, the chair of the elder board. He's going to be my microphone man. And uh, Dom, because the work of the church is the work of the people, we're not going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to ask Adventure by Choice, some of you to read scripture for us. And Dom, he's very adept at this. He trained all week to hold the microphone. He just told me 10 seconds ago. 
Yeah, exactly. So if somebody would be so willing to read Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, raise your hand. Dom will come to you and read with, well, I was going to say boldness. You could also do it with meekness. I don't care. Who would be so willing to read the, the word for us? I see Sarah's hand over there. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Are you going to hold that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> then the, it's too close, sorry. Can I hold it? No, just, just read, the bo- read the book, please. Just read the book. <laughs> then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sarah, for that. Appreciate it. If you have your Bible with you, you can write in the little margin. Wait, one more. We've got one more scripture, so stand there. Hey, there's two. Yeah. If I had letters to flip, I'd ask you to okay. flip two vowels. Um, that is called the Great Commission in your scriptures, the Great Commission. So here's the thing in that passage. The resurrected Jesus gathers his disciples in the region of Galilee, his hometown region. And Matthew tells us two seemingly contradictory, well, actually, they're very contradictory things were true of these disciples. You see it in verse 17? Look at what he says in verse 17. These disciples, they worshiped Jesus as God, this friend they'd walked with, who's now the resurrected Jesus. They worshiped him as God, and he says, some still doubted. Which is, in the original Greek, is literally wavering of opinion. Talk about contradictory. Worshiping Jesus, I got my doubts. Hmm. Anybody in here ever had that experience? That tells us, though, watch this, that fully getting it and having gone to seminary and being fully convinced of all the theological data points about who Jesus is and who God is, is not what you have to have done first before the call of Jesus comes. You could still be worshiping Jesus and wavering an opinion, and the call of Jesus still comes to your life. Without any, fully convinced, without any questions or doubts, it does not impact the call of Jesus that comes next. And so to this group of worshiping and wavering disciples, Jesus reminds them of his authority over the broken world, and here he gives them the mission. And the mission is this. As you go about your life, that's what the word go in Greek, as you go about your life, Make followers of all people groups throughout the world. All of you, not just the pastors, not just the popes. All of you, as you go about your life, make followers of Jesus throughout the world and baptize them, which is about immersing them into the identity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey, which is the word respond to everything that I've taught you. Highlight that in your mind, because in a second, what he taught them to respond to is the next passage we're going to look at. So the first thing Jesus tells his worshiping and wavering disciples, which includes all of us, is that as long as human history has not yet been wrapped up, Jesus wants us to invite and include just one more missing person into the family of God. Just one more 
just one more missing person, one more, to continually live with the sense that there is room for one more in the family of God because history has not been wrapped up yet. There's room for one more. And I'm talking about you and your own circle of influence. One more. If you have a daughter who doesn't yet know Jesus, there's room for that daughter. Do you have a son in your life who doesn't yet know Jesus? There's room for that son. Do you have a spouse who doesn't yet know Jesus? There's room. Do you have a coworker who doesn't yet know Jesus? There's room for that coworker, a neighbor, a friend, an enemy. Now, there's a significant complimentary piece to this call, and this is where, Dom, I need you again. Could somebody turn back to Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40? We've just read the Great Commission. Here's another one. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Who would be willing to read that for us? Right here. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Beautiful. Thank you. God's word. Thank you, Dom. Let's give Dom a hand. He did such a good job. Ten seconds of training. (laughs) Okay, so the first passage in Matthew 28, that's called the Great Commission. And this passage in Matthew 22 is called the Great Commandment. There was actually a meaningful conversation that was taking place in the first century among the religious leaders in Israel. It was a big, heated conversation. And you can kind of see it playing out in the Gospels and even in the New Testament. Among the the religious leaders of Israel, it was among the priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And you can kind of see how this conversation would arise. By the time the religious, by this time that this passage is happening, the religious laws in Judaism, it stacked up to hundreds upon hundreds All the laws from God, hundreds upon hundreds. And even the most avid rule keepers realized that trying to remember, let alone keep, these hundreds of laws weighed people down rather than releasing them in shalom, peace, and joy. And so they were all debating it. And so there was this open debate about how do you boil down all of the passage says, the law and the prophets, that's New Testament code language for the entire Old Testament. How do you boil down these hundreds of laws into a simple way to live before God that was one, true to what God wanted, and number two, didn't weigh you down, but would free you to joyfully and in peace walk with God? Who's got the answer to that? That is a tough question. Well, guess what? Jesus steps right into that debate and he provides the unburdening answer. God's end game in a human life is the formation of a person, formation of a person into someone who can love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and someone who can love your neighbor as you've learned to love yourself. That's the end game of God. In your life, in my life, in all the people who choose to follow God. This is the teach them to obey everything that I commanded part of Jesus' great commission. The end game of what God wants us to create a hum- in a human life, in your life, in my life, 
is a person who loves God in ever-increasing measure. Like it didn't stop when you went to summer camp in 1986. There's an increasing measure of loving God. And into a person who loves others in ever-increasing measure. When a pandemic comes along and they don't see things the way you see them, you can still love them. And to love them in ever-increasing measure by out of the experience of God's great love in your life as you've learned that I'm lovable to God. I can love you out of the overflow of the love I've experienced from God in my life. That's God's end game. So let's practically put all this together. This ecclesia, which happens to have a name called Faith Community Church, and if you go online on the internet, you'll find there are thousands of faith community churches in America. You have to then type in, oh, Santa Cruz, California. Um, but this particular faith community church in Santa Cruz has a mission. Does anybody remember what the mission is? Making more and better disciples of Jesus. And the fact that anybody this early in the morning can say that is, I will count it as a woohoo, that's a success. Making more and better disciples of Jesus. Now, let me break that down. More is about spiritual replication as a church and as us as individuals. Where the good news doesn't stop with us, it's spreading through us. We don't want anybody in this church to be a person who, when the time comes for Jesus to call you home, you can't say you led anybody to know Jesus. We don't want that. It doesn't stop with you, but it's spreading through you that each one of us is able to bring at least one more person into God's kingdom before we enter eternity. At least one, if not more. That's what the more is about, spiritual replication. And the better part of it is about spiritual formation. Are we being formed in anything here? Where we take seriously our own personal growth following Jesus and our maturity, and where we are also seeking to help others in this community in their growth and in their maturity, helping them together. The story I told at the beginning about the collapse of the mega company Kodak, it's a morality tale about the importance of constantly coming back and asking ourselves as a church two questions. The question number one is this, what are we doing? What are we doing? We need to always get back to being very clear about our mission and consistently remind ourselves of our mission so that we can be very clear about why, why, why do we sing songs when the world doesn't do that unless they're at a rock concert? Like, why, why do we sing songs? Why, 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 do, why do we listen to you so patiently on Sundays, Andy? Why do we do sermons? Why do we crack the Bible? Why do we do outreach? Why do we do ministry to kids and go on the campus of De La Vega Elementary School? Why do we enter into new frontiers of mission work? Why, why are we doing that? And to be able to ask the question, what are we doing? So we can always see how activity isn't just activity for activity's sake. And how our energy and our spending is truly connected to the mission of, are we making more disciples and better disciples in this church? We always have to come back to the question of, what are we doing? Believe me, in the last two years of a pandemic, that question was asked a lot. What are we doing? But the second important question is, how are we doing 
to consistently reassess the effectiveness of the pursuit of our mission. In every season of our church life, to be checking in, has this church baptized anybody recently? Like in the last 12 months, and the answer is yes, thank God. But to always be assessing, has anybody been baptized to proclaim that they're following Jesus and there's no turning back in their life from any age? We got to ask ourselves those questions consistently because if it's not happening, something, mm, something's a little off. Are we learning? Are we leaning out into our community to help our community? Are we seeing evidence of growth in the lives of our people? And does this church have structures in place to assist in that growth and to enter into conflicts in a grace-filled and yet truth-filled way? And also just to understand, and in this coming year, and I'm going to invite um, Todd and Calvin to come on up and kind of get set as they do. Let me just talk to you about kind of what, where we're looking at trying to go in this coming year. The overarching goal for this coming year you know, sometimes you get to the starting line and it's ready, set, go. And I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit is reading the room in everybody. You are all not ready, set, go people right now. You're like, I'm just barely just got off my couch from these last two years. The Holy Spirit was very clear with the leaders of this church. This is a season to prepare. It's ready, set, prepare for the next season of mission. So over the next nine to 12 months, this church's whole focus is about the preparation for when the Holy Spirit says, go. This is a season of prepare. And there are three kind of defining objectives that come, in, come from preparing for the next season. One is we want to be a really good place of inviting those who become disillusioned with church. We are not perfect but we're trying to be as healthy as we can. We want to be a place where we can invite people who are ums, people who are like, I just kind of stopped going to my church. I don't hate church, but I just kind of stopped during the pandemic. Is there a place where I could kind of worship? People who are duns, they've been really wounded by church, where they can come and where we can grow in our hospitality. There is a sh- there's a good side to being a community as rich and deep as ours, and that is we are a community that's rich and deep. The shadow side is to turn our head and go, oh, there's a new person here. And so in this year, one of the defining objectives is to invite the disillusioned and be hospitable to them and to let them know they're still loved and Jesus still has a wonderful plan for their future. The second one is to develop people for service. We need to find new leaders. You can pray with us for this. We need a, we'd like to have a fifth elder in the coming year. We need two new ministry directors, which are key champions of ministry for prayer and outreach in the coming year. As you know, we've been asking you to pray for leaders in kids' ministry and in youth ministry. We need help. Now, we're not alone. Every pastor I talk to, I'll take where we're at against most churches because you are all so faithful. But it's a time, a year of preparing for kind of getting ready for where we need to go to, and also growth in giving in our church. We're going to talk more about that. We feel like the Lord has given us a vision, not for a building, but for a ministry frontier. And you better believe it's going to require us to pray about how are we going to give towards that? Because we need to see God do new things in the future. We're going to talk about that. And finally, we want to strengthen your faith as members. Community groups, Heather does an incredible job plugging people in. Contact her, Heather at Faith Community Church. Get into a community group. And finally, this. I felt, and the elders felt, it was confirmed that the Holy Spirit was telling me to spend more time with you in the coming year. 
And that's going to take the form of three closer walks with Jesus retreats in the coming year on three different Saturdays, one in the fall, one in the winter, one in the spring, that if you want to take some time and just get closer with Jesus and let me kind of lead you in some times together, I want to give you a break where you can get closer to the Lord and closer to one another. Those are coming in the year ahead. And in the the immediate years ahead, we're going to talk more about this at our annual meeting. We feel like the Holy Spirit's encouraging us to add a new staff person who can be a champion of a new frontier. And we think it's college. We'll see. But we just ask you to join in with that and hear us about that in the, in the months and years ahead. Making more and better disciples of Jesus. Why are we doing this? Jesus asked us to. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for saving us. And thank you for calling us into an epic, epic adventure. <laughs> and the American dream is no epic adventure. You just rack up credit and go get a big TV. Woohoo. This is an epic adventure of rescuing people from the onslaught of sin and walking in newness of life and, and seeing us being redeemed, becoming a better version of ourselves, the real version of ourselves that Jesus died to make us. And to see that happen even in our community where we can look at one another and go, look at what Jesus is rendering you. Oh, it's a, it's, it's a wonder to behold. God, I just pray for Faith Community Church in this year ahead that as we are in this season of preparing for the next season of mission, that God, we prepare well. That if whatever heart work that we need to do individually, what we need to do collectively, we can do that heart work. And whatever work that we need to do to prepare ourselves structurally, that we will do that. And that we can be a light in this city and in this county. That's what you've asked us to be. And we want to be good stewards of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.